You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Hallo, hallo. Herzlich willkommen in Friedrichshafen. Hello and welcome to the sixth and final part in the podcast series recorded at the 2008 Outdoor Trade Show at Friedrichshafen, Europe's largest gathering of manufacturers, distributors and designers, totally focused on the outdoors industry. If gear, technology and clothing is your thing, then this is the place to be to see what is being launched or worked on for 2009 release. Rose I and our European correspondent Roman Ackle spent several days meeting, greeting and chatting with old and new contacts to discover more about the products we'll all be seeing on the shelves in the very near future. In this podcast we look at Golite, a very popular US brand continuing to make a great impression in the European outdoor scene. Rose talks with Golite president Coop and asks one of the questions placed on the Outdoors Magic Forum prior to our trip. Just what else do manufacturers like him carry in their rucksacks which they've had to pay for? I, on the other hand, speak with Andy Burgess, Vice President of Design for Golite, and look at their approach to rucksack design materials and what factors they have to consider when looking at designing their products. At Golite, as, as with any brand, the, the right place to start for backpack design is, is the brand essence, the brand philosophy. And at Golite, we prioritize uh, excellent performance, uh, long-term durability, and the minimal weight that we can achieve to, to, to execute those first two uh, to our satisfaction. So we really, we really start with uh, the thought that people are going to use these, these backpacks for different end uses and tailor uh, both the designs and the material selection to the specific end uses, whether it's a, uh, a long trail, um, you know, ten, every 10 days you resupply, or it is just a weekend trip or simple day use. Uh, there are different design and performance criteria that we prioritize depending on those, those different end uses. In the UK, probably we have a perception that uh, a lot of, um, the, of the US outdoor user is aimed at doing the longer trails, um, and it's just from articles that you read and information that you're given. But is that a, is that a reasonable comment to make, or would you say there's a certain percentage that are day walkers and so on? I, I think that by far the largest percentage of the market is the day use. Uh, the day walkers. Uh, however, there's there's more romance in uh, describing the the, uh, the 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 major accomplishment of doing a long trail. So there's I think there's more marketing around that uh, than uh, than really the coverage of the day in day out either just uh, short short hike enjoyment or the training that goes into preparing for a long trail, which which people most most people don't have. Uh, the luxury of that much vacation time. Yeah, well, it all comes down to time, doesn't it? Yeah, time and money, as they say. Uh, so, 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 what do you do then? With practicalities, you, you sort of do you, do you go out into the marketplace and look at a, an area where there are a lot of people doing a particular activity and and talk to them before you start the sort of design concept in your mind, or do you um, start with a sample and say, well, these are the key features I'd like this sample to have, and give it to that market and let them give you feedback on it? Yeah, that's a great question. We we really start with the end use. We think about how people are are using the products and, and in fact that's part of what we're doing here we've uh, the, the apparel team has been in the UK uh, for for four days they were out in the Lake District um, 
on the trails. Uh, we're about to go do the same thing here in Germany. Uh, so really starting with the consumer and how they're using either our product or other product to, to achieve their goals, that's, that's where we start. And then we tailor a product that meets Golight's um, criteria for, uh, for the, the, the performance and durability and, and minimal weight uh, from there. As a complete aside, now you've actually said that about the, the apparel guys going to Lake District. Did they come back with any sort of revelations about about sort of the conditions or, or how the, the, the equipment performed or didn't? Or whatever? Well, it's certainly different than the, the environment that we have in Colorado, which is uh, higher elevation, uh, drier climate. Um, so, so the majority of what uh, what they've they've told me anecdotally uh, is uh, just higher humidity, more moisture uh, that that you're dealing with. Um, uh, both from uh, just the just what's in the air, as well as uh, there are more frequent stream crossings and, and things like this. That uh, uh, until you are in lots of different environments, you uh, you can't um, you can't say you've done all of your homework. Yeah, yeah. It's, a sort of, it's easy to make an assumption, isn't it? So we've got a couple of packs in front of us here, um, and I want to talk a bit about uh, about design and functionality, and also uh, very briefly about materials because these um, materials we see through the marketplace or are changing on a sort of fairly regular basis. But at the moment, the the material of the moment, I think most people are are aware of and hear about and have seen now creep into certain uh, product ranges is Dyneema mm -hmm. or Dyneema based uh, material. So so let's talk outwards from Dyne Dyneema if you would. I mean is it an expensive material to use? Is it is it practical, efficient, you know, so sure. Well Dyneema is uh, it's a space age yarn. It literally comes from the aerospace industry and it's a it's a high tensile uh, high tensile strength filament that uh, that we use as a reinforcing grid in our high tenacity base fabric which is a 210 denier nylon and uh, where we are looking to achieve the, the ultimate tear strength at the minimal weight that's where we use that fabric it is about three to four times more expensive than our other materials so so there is a cost for that uh, with other materials we're able to prioritize abrasion resistance and and accept a slightly higher weight for our double ripstop fabric we prioritize tear strength and uh, and a lower weight, so so there are trade-offs that we make um, between tear strength, weight, and price uh, across each of the each of the material selections. Mm -hmm. And and the materials presumably are they where are they sourced from? Do they have to travel very far in the world, or do they go from the from the US to your manufacturing base, or are they actually sourced in the manufacturing base? The we source all of our materials as close as possible to where they're going to be manufactured. Uh, all of our backpack materials are produced either in Taiwan or Korea and uh, currently the majority of our pack production is done in Vietnam so uh, so we rely mainly on water transport which is uh, as far as transportation goes the most uh, the most efficient both from a cost and from a uh, minimizing the environmental impact um, of the of the actual transportation, yeah, 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 and we're, and we're definitely aware of Golight's intentions on, on that score. Um, so, uh, what what pack would you like to, to sort of just briefly talk about now, from a, from a design aspect or a functionality? Well, since we started with the Dyneema material, let's let's start with uh, the the Jam Two, which is the uh, sort of the purest expression of of, of the Golight principles in a backpack. Uh, it is. Uh, the it's the core of our line. If I were to describe only one one pack, it would be the Jam, and it features the, a full body of the Dyneema grid stop material with uh, upgrades for this season. We've we've 
enhance the comfort of the back panel with a, uh, a 10 millimeter aerospacer mesh that adds minimal weight but really improves airflow and uh, the moisture management of, of the back panel as well as just providing additional cushioning. We also have, uh, we've added um, uh, pockets on the hip belt which has been extended and uh, and has been lightly padded as opposed to just being a, a dual layer of fabric which um, in the past we rely we really relied on the cradling shape of the hip belt now we've added a little bit of foam to that uh, to protect the hip from the contents of the the quick access pockets on the hip wings so these these upgrades as it were to, for, for 2009 are these have these come from user feedback uh, and uh, or, or is it sort of a, a design element that you're, you're bringing to it? Yeah, no, the, all of these changes were directly requested either by individual uh, users or by a string of uh, a retail, um, retail buyer requests. And uh, what we've learned so far in our, in our uh, preseason presentations is that most people are very pleasantly surprised at how minimal a weight increase We've, we've incurred for the significant enhancement in both convenience with the uh, hip belt pockets and comfort with uh, the, the padding um, enhancements on the back and uh, the hip wings. I suppose the, the other side of it is that the, you, know, you have to um, take into account the consumer has, has changing expectations every year, don't they? they, 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 um, you know, they as you say, they want the minimum um, uh, weight aspect to be uh, kept to sort of fairly high priority, but there's a, a change sometimes in trends of wanting that little bit more comfort or expectations of hip belt pockets for example I know is very very popular in the, in the UK mm-hmm. um, primarily because that's once you've had a rucksack that's got it, got it, you really miss it on everything else. Right, right. Yeah, the 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 features that, that we really prioritize each season um, come from uh, questioning everything. Uh, we, we, that relates to materials as well. So while we've added uh, we've added additional features, we've gone through in, in places that people wouldn't necessarily notice uh, or wouldn't necessarily be obvious to them. We've we've selected new materials that perform even better from a weight and durability perspective, uh, and and employed them so that it off, has offset some of the, the weight gain from those other features too. So it's it's a series of trade offs. The design element uh, of particularly something like the Jam 2 now, uh, you've obviously kept to the, the sort of original roll top um, enclosure and so on. Uh, how do you feel about the, the pack itself and, and how do the customers relate to it as, as a sort of a, a design object, you know? It's, it, it speaks to the, the mentality, the go light mentality of I don't need all of the bells and whistles and all of the gadgets that uh, some of the other folks that I see on the trail have. So it's, I don't want to say it's a, it's a badge, but if somebody does ask about the unique appearance of, of the jam, it, there's, there's certainly a good story to tell. Right, moving up to the, the second pack you got here, which is the 2009 version of, of the Quest. Uh, again, just if we can just talk aesthetically for a few moments about the actual concept and feel to the pack. The, the Quest is a more traditionally designed rucksack, top load, uh, top lid, uh, with, a, with a large front pocket, and uh, both, both on the front of the pack and the back where the suspension um, is uh, also looking more traditional with, a, with a more of a contour, molded foam, and uh, a more substantial hip belt. It's, it, it reaches out as more of a, um, 
conventional pack, but then when you lift it, you realize just how lightweight it is. So the, the, the kind of the, the magic is on the inside with the framing and the, the material selection, but the feature set is much more familiar and potentially less of a, uh, less of a transition from, from somebody who's, who's decided to make the move into lightweight gear from, from more conventional gear. Certainly, uh, I know from, from my own experience, it's been a very, very popular pack these last two years, and I can see it continuing that way for exactly those reasons. But to, I could just ask you very, very quickly then, the, the material selection that you chose for the majority of the pack, um, just, just tell me a bit about that, because obviously it's not Dyneema, and I think when that first came out, it gave people a bit of a surprise. Right. The, the, the main body fabric is a, uh, it's called Velocity, and it is our, it's a proprietary weave of 210 denier high tenacity nylon that has a, a smoother face to it, which really enhances the abrasion resistance. So, so while the Dyneema has a tensile strength advantage over Velocity, this is actually a much more abrasion resistant material than, than the Dyneema reinforcement would provide. Okay, um, and then uh, any alteration to actually the pack? What have actually got it right in front of you? We've we've modified a couple of things for the quest this year. Uh, instead of the watertight uh, zippers without a rain flap, we've gone with a standard zip and rain flaps. Uh, this is something that we learned from long-term, um, you know, 5,000 mile use on on packs that the zippers were the uh, the the weakest link in the in the whole construction and so we we look to um, enhance that uh, other than that uh, a lot of fine-tuning of the fit um, just so that we, we fit a broader range of people more comfortably um, and just more um, more ergonomic and and uh, lighter weight buckles that also are are stronger things like that the, all of the features have been just tweaked and fine-tuned to, to improve them but maintain all of the functionality that people have really appreciated over these last couple of Seasons. Well, certainly, uh, as I say, it's been a very popular pack, and I guess uh, you expect it to, to continue. So, has, has the response to it here in, uh, in Friedrichshafen been good? It's been very good. With these updates, uh, both aesthetically and functionally, people are um, just very, very pleased with uh, with the changes that we've made. Because, again, most of them uh, came directly from user and retailer requests. So, Coop, uh, what would you take in your rucksack that, uh, without fail, every trip, that's not go light? I take a number of things that are that are wonderful products that aren't go light. My single favorite, I'd have to say, is Hydropel lubricant. There's three lubricants I use with some frequency on different parts of my body, but the Hydropel is what I use on my feet. It's 30% silicone, and the silicone acts as a sealant as well as a wonderful lubricant. And so by putting a small amount, two ounces will last me about two weeks of daily application. I put a small amount on the soles of both feet at the start of the day, spread it all over, work it into my feet, work it all around the toes, and then I find that all day long I don't get blisters. I'm doing other good practices too. I'm carrying a light pack, I'm using walking sticks, I'm in pretty good shape, my feet get a lot of use. I'm using too thin socks. I'm using lightweight, flexible shoes. All these things, of course, go together. But of all these things, Hydropel uh, is certainly one of the more important. Um, I find that when I'm in and out of rain, in and out of water, in and out of snow, often for 15 or 16 hours a day, usually for 30 miles or more in a day, 
occasionally upwards of 50 miles in a day. At the end of the day, there's no blister. There's not a hint of a blister. Feet feel fine. And really amazingly, the hydropel is still there. I put some more on the next day, but I'm not really sure if I need to. That's amazing. Yeah. I wonder if it's uh, available in the UK. I'll have to find that one out. If it isn't, you should carry it. <laughs> okay. So what else do you uh, have in your pack? Well, uh, the other lubricants, for starters, on, on when you get into big miles, I find that it's really, really important to have other parts of the body lubricated, too. And so I really like sport slick in certain areas. And for one very special place, uh, nothing will do but body glide because its applicator device is the longest. Um, I really like having a really good pair of trekking poles. So those aren't in the pack, per se. They're in my hands. Um, uh, I've had the best success with Comperdels. Um, carbon Comperdels are quite light but durable. Um, certainly uh, Lecky and, uh, and Black Diamond and, uh, and a couple of other brands I've enjoyed too. But I find that Comperdell has been taking the, the really lightweight carbon but durable the most seriously of late. And, um, and what I find is that light poles are disproportionately important. Like footwear, because it's at an extremity, every single stride you're rapidly accelerating a foot and then stopping it and then doing it all over again. The same exact thing is happening with your hand. So just as an ounce on your feet is worth five or six in your pack, so too I think an ounce in your hand is uh, is worth five or six uh, in your back. And and I find that you know so much terrain is fairly level. Really enjoy the ups, really enjoy the downs, but even on a, a day with a lot of vertical up and down, when you look back over it, you, you admit to yourself that quite a bit of that day was on fairly level ground. And I find that your standard trekking poles that always weigh um, you know, upwards of a, a pound a pair, a good 500 to 550 grams for a pair, I can't on level ground easily keep pace with my feet with the poles so that I'm not pulling every step I'm pulling every other step and you know of course that's better than not pulling at all in certain circumstances but the whole idea of four-wheel drive is that all four wheels are going at the same time and that's how it works best and on rugged terrain that's very helpful um, for obvious reasons but on easy terrain it's very helpful too in that it is doing I'm doing 20 percent of the work with my hands decreasing the work that I'm doing with my feet and my legs to about 80. And this is one of the things that, that really makes it easier, you know, working together with the hydropel and the other elements to go far and be very comfortable. Also, you don't come out of the woods looking like a hiker. You look more like a, a rower or a wrestler, um, which, uh, well, I'm, I'm good for dates for life, but she likes it better that way. And um, once you get south of about 400 grams for the pair, I find that it's very natural and very easy for my poles to be keeping pace with my feet no problem. And, um, and that's how I like to do it. So a few ounces difference in the hands really makes a big difference. That's interesting. I haven't really uh, thought of that one before, but you, you're probably right, thinking on level ground. I, I can't keep pace with my feet, absolutely. Um, yeah. Interesting, that. Yeah. I also really like getting my socks right. Um, I almost always use on trips 
with fairly long days, I'll use a, a, the thinnest pair of right socks, uh, W-R-I-G-H-T. They make an integrated, very light polyester uh, cool max sock. It's, it's integrated two thin socks together. If that didn't exist, then I would wear two thin pairs of socks separately. But it's so much simpler to have them integrated. And, um, and the friction that is dissipated between the two layers is friction that never gets to my feet. So this is a really useful thing. And because the layers are so thin, they don't hold a lot of dirt. Um, and, uh, and so I find, you know, I'll use those for several hundred miles in, in really dusty conditions or, you know, closer to a thousand in more forgiving conditions. And for, uh, for just a few pounds a pair, they're hard to beat. Uh, other things I like, in certain conditions when I have to take uh, a bit of sunscreen, I love um, the Swiss brand, what is it, Dermatone. I've been using Dermatone for many years. Um, it was recommended to my wife Kim and I when we climbed um, Denali back in, the, in 97. And we put it on in our tent every morning before we set foot outside. There's 24 hours of daylight we climbed in June. And by putting it on before we went outside and, and making sure to get it everywhere that was exposed, obviously not too many areas, just the sometimes hands and, and always parts of the face. When we had come off the mountain, we'd been on for 18 days, and we didn't have a hint of a tan, let alone a hint of a burn. When you see almost everybody else come off of Denali, they all have the, the raccoon look um, with the, the white eyes from, the, from goggles and from glacier glasses, and everything else is essentially burnt. And, um, and so people didn't even believe that we'd been on the mountain, let alone that we climbed the mountain, until we showed them our pictures. And also we would open our mouths and they'd see that our tongues and the roofs of our mouths and our gums were all burned, but nothing on the outside. So, um, and all that without feeling uh, greasy, uh, or uncomfortable in any way. I'd still rather not have it on than have it on, but if you have to put it on, this is really amazing stuff that doesn't get in the way. So I like Dermatone. Well, sounds great. Any other little hints and tips of uh, favorite items? I love Aquamira um, water treatment. It's uh, just about 60 grams for the whole kit. Treats uh, 120 liters at full strength, which is good obviously for quite a few days. Um, I find that there are many conditions where the water looks like, you can see the source, you can see that it's fine, you know that you don't have to treat it at all, but, but I do, but I don't treat it full strength, and then that stretches it way beyond the 120 liters, and also it's, uh, the treatment of the water is a function of contact time times the, the concentration uh, of the treatment that's put in, and so you know, a good third of my water on a typical trip, I'll be treating at the end of the day and having in camp and starting the day with it. Well, that the contact time with that's going to be six, seven, eight, sometimes nine hours. So there, I just put in the tiniest bit, and again, this stretches it. So effectively, for 60 grams, I'm getting a few hundred liters of water, and uh, at pretty low cost. So I really like Aquamira, and that's replacing you know, a good three, four, sometimes 500 grams worth of filter system that I would have taken otherwise. Yeah, sounds great. great. Any last tips? Any other hidden away in any corners of the, your pack? Uh, I, I might 
Yeah, well, one last piece that really makes a big difference is um, there's only two things I was issued by the military that I continue to use in a really lightweight hiking kit. One is an Esbit stove, um, invented by the German Army way, way back, and uh, and finally by the time that I got to be an ROTC, Americans finally gave up trying to better it and, and just adopted it. And when I do use a stove, which is not usually, but uh, but on trips in the early spring and the late fall, um, where it is not so cold that I have to be melting a lot of water, in which case I'm firing up not just a MSRXGK, but multiple MSRXGKs at once, then this is the stove that I like to use. Because then I'm only hiking 11 or 12 hours a day. I'm awake for three or four or five hours with the sun down. Sometimes I like to hike at night. But often enough, I'd rather just have a big, huge meal of pasta and lots of different things in it. And then the Esbit stove really comes into its own because it's just a few ounces. It's totally indestructible. The uh, the fire cubes um, are just 15 grams each, and I get a good whole meal out of it. In about 10 minutes, I've boiled my water. In the last three or four minutes, gets the the roaring boil over the pasta and then just cap it off in the next 10 minutes it just sits there pasta's ready the other uh, piece that, that I still have from army days that I just love is boonie hat um, way back in the late 50s the early 60s the, uh, the American Special Forces got a real good um, uh, visual and, and, and panache out of having dashing berets uh, but as soon as they actually went out into the field, they put the berets away and they brought the boonie hats out. Boonie so so hat what's a boonie hat? Yeah. It's, it's a big floppy hat with a wide brim. Um, it also has a little band around the crown of the head where you can insert camouflage. I don't do that anymore. But to have the, the big hat with a good amount of room in it, um, which is cooling, Big brass eyelets on both sides, yeah. a pair of them that lets uh, a good amount of air through, and then just the right amount of width to the brim. It's, it's, it's quite large and effectively covers the neck area and all the way down the chin, the nose, the ears, everything on you. The only time it doesn't give you full coverage, the sun is so low in the sky that it's not really an issue at all. And I put the boonie hat on and um, and everything is just great, except the pictures. Um, nobody back on staff, uh, and certainly my wife Kim, don't really like the pictures, but I don't care. And it's interesting that when I look at some of the other people who are pushing the edge in different directions in lightweight hiking, uh, you know, some that come to mind, Glenn Van Pesky, Ryan Jordan, uh, they all have cool hats with big brims whether they're Tillies or, or anything else. They're all variants on this basic theme. And so uh, in a world full of people that are running around with 20, 30, 40 grams of hats, um, I'm, I'm quite okay with 100, 110 grams of a big floppy hat. That's, that's interesting. I think Bob would like that because uh, uh, no matter what, he, he always has at least one hat, if not two or three with him. Um, he, he's got a bit of a thing. I, I tease him mercifully about it, but... Uh, that's, that's really nice to hear that you hold on to something you've had for a while and take with you almost, uh, it sounds like it's um, sentimental, almost, you need to take it with you. Yeah, well, um, it, but it's not just sentimental. The few, the few times I leave it behind, I find that I'm sorry. 
Uh, this spring, for instance, I was on the Appalachian Trail down in Georgia, and I've always thought of the Appalachian Trail as the green tunnel that, uh, that I used to hike when I lived in the east. But in April and, uh, and late March in Georgia, the leaves aren't really out yet. And so even the th- though the forest is thick, the sun was coming down. And I had left my boonie hat in Colorado. And uh, consequently, I had to pull my hood up every single day, all day. And of course, that worked for the most part. Didn't give me the, the coverage on the front of my face that I'd want. But it has nowhere near the ventilation capability that just throwing a, a big floppy print hat on. The only other thing I just want to mention is, you know, as always, we, we talk gear and it's easy to get excited about it when you manufacture it and you design it and you live it and breathe it. But I always want to, you know, keep coming back and remembering that the first two letters in Go Later are G-O, it's Go, and Go is, if anything, the more important of the two syllables. So get the light kit together, um, don't obsess about it too much, and make sure to take plenty of time to get out and really enjoy the outdoors. There'll be plenty of time to come back another weekend and get the kit even lighter, but then go again. Thanks for joining us in this podcast, and thanks also to Coop and Andy for taking a few moments away from their busy schedule at the show. And that brings the six-part series from Friedrichshaven to a close. I hope you've enjoyed the mixed and varied content, and we've explained more about the background to various products and manufacturers. There's plenty more coming on a whole range of outdoors topics from the Outdoor Station, so please make sure you keep an eye out for more podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the RSS feed in iTunes and never miss out. Details can be found on the Outdoor Station website. And so, until next time, folks, we hope you've enjoyed the series. Do drop us an email to info at theoutdoorstation.co.uk with any feedback. Take care and enjoy the good weather. This independent programme is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.